Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You always got to start with dick. That's just how it goes. Welcome to Manic Rambling Spiral. I'm Heather B. Armstrong. And I'm John R. Bray. Today. Today. Three day. Four day. Today is, um, we're going to do a bit of an update and a, a, a more exploration on the topic of depression. So it won't be quite as uplifting as dicks, but it is very important. <laughs> no uh, pun intended. <laughs> we started this one off with a bang, and I didn't even say it. You did. That's true. That was all me, yeah. <laughs> I have no regrets about that. Sometimes, you know, I feel like I think I think he's getting red in the face over there with how I'm talking. Oh no. Huh. No. <laughs> no, all good. All good dicks. <laughs> D- dicks. So we will talk about dicks. We're gonna start this time we're gonna start with dicks. <laughs> and we'll end with a more serious conversation. Yes. Um uh, I do believe Lita came in yesterday and I was sitting at my desk and she's like, mom, the the small child of the, the woman who picks up my children and watches them for a couple of hours every afternoon. I believe he actually used the word in the car on the way home from school. He's four. <laughs> really? Yeah. She said, oh, wow. and she's like, I, I, I don't know if I should tell you. I'm like, well, what, 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 what word did he use? And she's like, the D one. And I was like, Oh, cause she's like, no, no, like the bad D one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. But here's the thing. Like, damn has a couple of meanings and so does Dick, you know? Dick is a name. Dick is a name. Maybe Not he that was, that's how the four-year-old was, was using it. Maybe he was calling someone by name. We don't know. Seems um, super likely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do not have any judgment at all. Because I was sitting, this is back in 2000, oh man, was it 2010? Back, 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 way back. Way when back. I, way back when, when I was still married and there was this leisure time before taking Lita to school. <laughs> there, was, there was leisure time? How did you I have leisure time even. in the morning? I just, I think back to what life used to be like and I'm like, what was that? Um there was like a we would wake up and i would turn on the today show just to have it on in the background you know or sit there and watch a few minutes of it because getting her to school was not this rush out of the house like everything is right now you know there i didn't have to get marla ready for school the school was right down the street it was you know it was just a leisurely pace then the today show had michelle bachman on 
Have I told you this story before? No, but I I definitely want to hear it. We're rambling here. But anyway, we're going to get back to the depression part. They had Michelle Bachman on, and I believe it was Meredith Vieira interviewing Michelle Bachman. And Michelle Bachman is just spewing lies about Obama. This is at the height of like Obama is the, you know, antichrist and he's done nothing but destroy the country. And she is just spewing like bullshit. And I'm sitting there just watching it. Like Meredith Vieira never interrupted her, never said, no, wait a minute. That's, that's patently obviously a lie, what you're saying and not true. And we could literally walk outside and prove that. And I'm sitting there, I'm so frustrated. And Lita went over to to grab a glass of water. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, fuck you, Michelle Bachman. (laughs) It just came out of my mouth. It just, it screamed out of my mouth. And Lita turned around, she goes, fuck who, mom? (laughs) (laughs) Just matter of factly. Yep. Just oh, matter wow. of factly, like, like seven who? years ago too. Oh man, yeah. So seven years ago when she was, she was six. Oh God, yeah. Uh huh. And I, I apologized. I was like, I'm so so sorry. I should not have used that word so ferociously in front of you. Sorry. <laughs> so no like, judgment at all when kids say words. When kids say words, mm-hmm. kids are allowed to say words. Yeah. So. We, we really veered. We really veered there. <laughs> it, it went downhill pretty quick. Yeah. It went downhill. We were going to talk about depression. It is no secret. I actually haven't gone back and listened to the episodes that we recorded last fall. And I'm sure that if we did, I would hear it in my voice. I don't know if I told you this, but when I was in San Francisco, I saw several friends that I hadn't seen in a, a while. And every single one of them said to me, Without fail, literally every single one. Heather, like you, you look amazing. Like, what, 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 what have you done? <laughs> As if I had that like work done, and I was like, "What do you mean?" They're like, "You, there's something about your eyes." <laughs> I'm not gonna give too much away, but I, I was, I looked at them and I said, "Yeah, my eyes are telling you that I no longer want to die." <laughs> oh my god. Like, my eyes are, are, are saying that I'm happy to be alive and there's joy in life. And I think that's the difference that they they could see in me. And But every single person said, your eyes, there's something going on with your eyes. Specifically the eyes. Specifically my eyes. Interesting. It was almost uncanny because an, uh, then the next person would say it and then another person would say it. And I said, is it that noticeable? And they're like, oh, yes. It, it, it's like you're a comp- your countenance is completely different. And I, I wanted to talk about this this week specifically because maybe it's the age that I am at and that many of my friends are at and the stage of life that we're in. But I know so many of my friends who, especially in the last year, which, yes, the election, I think, has had, has compounded things. But so many of my friends are going through really dark, dark times. And inexplicably, I mean, life throws shit your way all the time. And sometimes life is really good and you still are depressed. And so many of my friends are like, why? I can't explain why I feel so hopeless. I I wanted to revisit this because it is such an important topic um, for friends, for family, um, for survival, for 
you know, getting through the day with your kids and not messing them up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it looks so different mm-hmm. from person to person. It does look different. And it's it's hard to explain to somebody who doesn't get it um, that the idea of unloading the dishwasher seriously like the idea of unloading the dishwasher or having to do another load of laundry is so overwhelming and so daunting that you'd really just rather die or you know someone's saying you know what you should really call your doctor and the idea of picking up the phone and going through the hoops that you have to get to your doctor the idea in the physical like the physical act of doing that is so overwhelmingly daunting that you were like, you know what? I just rather die. But like, that's the thought that comes into a depressed brain. And to people outside of that frame of a brain, it makes no sense to them. Like, well, just make the fucking call. And it's like, can you help me make the call? You know, and even asking for help to make the call is almost too much because then you're like, I'm a, I'm a weirdo because I had to ask you to help me make a phone call. Yeah, you don't want to inconvenience. You don't want to be that person. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you're not going to do it. Right. Well, it's a it's a weird like I know this is typically a, a bad word. And I don't mean it that way, but it's it's like this irrational state. Mm-hmm. And I think I've talked to my dad about it before, and he always says you can't you can't rationalize with an irrational person. And that's kind of what it comes down to. Like when you're on the outside, it's it's impossible to look in for a lot of people and say, I get it because you, you can't. Like it's very difficult to grasp that, that position when you're not in it. And yeah, I mean, I know some perpetually joyous people and perpetually positive people and I admire that trait in them. And those actually have been some of the most compassionate to me. It's, I think, Sometimes when you do have hardship in your life and you overcome it, you just think, well, everybody should be able to do this. If I just overcame that and your life is perfectly fine and yet you're still sad, well, you're just choosing to be sad. Right. And I think I have said this before. That's one of the one of the thing that compounds depression the most is when you're like, I shouldn't feel this way, but I do. And I don't. I understand that I shouldn't. I understand that I should be able to unload the dishwasher, buck up, you know, get over it, but I can't. And then that makes you feel worse. It makes you feel worse. Because you're incapable of fixing what you what you think you should be able to fix. Right. And then that cycle just continues. Or it can. I mean, if you don't if you don't do anything about it, it can just continue to spiral. Well, I mean, people and people who are really in the throes of, of a bad depression, they we don't want to shower and like it's the last thing we want to do um, is actually get in the shower and do, I have to wash my hair. I have to like put on clean clothes. I don't, I, 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 I don't even think I can accomplish that. Some of these self-help books out there um, while they're f- filled with really good information and practical things that you can use to make your life better. A lot of it, a lot of it just doesn't apply to someone who is in the throes of a depressive episode. And 
like in in someone in the throes of a depressive episode should not be reading some of this self-help stuff because the self-help stuff is like, well, if you would just do this, your life would be better. If you would just do this, if you would just, if you're depressed and you're listening to depressive music, stop listening to the depressive music. And it's like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. I will listen to the national until I'm fucking crying in the closet because it's the only thing that I can do right now. Right. It's the only thing is listen to the national. So what is the option then? The option is, and and I do want to write about this, and I will mention that I'm going to write about this, but the option is friends and family members and those close to you who try to figure out a way to help you. Because I don't, it's really hard to get out of it yourself, by yourself. It's really hard. I mean, navigating medications and insurance to pay for those medications alone and finding the doctor to prescribe medications Um, That alone is so much work and criminally impossible in this country. And about to get harder. And it's about to get even worse. I mean, none of my therapy sessions, none of my like talk therapy sessions are covered by insurance. I have spent thousands in talk therapy sessions that have saved my life. It's not even like a handful every year. It's just none of them are covered. None. Zero. Basically, wow. my insurance, which is a premium insurance, doesn't cover any mental health care whatsoever. None. All it covers is is prescriptions, which wow. I just think is just fantastic. Yeah, let's just throw the money at the drugs. When you do, even when you do come out of a really bad depressive episode, there are narratives that you have told yourself and have repeated in your brain that sometimes it's hard to break free of them. Even when you're not, you've come through a depression and then something might like set you back a little bit and there's this narrative in your brain that that your brain immediately goes back to and you need to learn coping techniques coping mechanisms that are like you know what that's not true what i'm thinking and when you're in the right frame of mind and you aren't in the throes of it you can go you know what that's right the, the thing that i'm thinking about myself or about my life isn't true and you can move forward like a self-help book would tell you to do but learning those techniques, you know, with a with the help of a therapist or somebody who's licensed to treat um, mental health issues, you know, is difficult. And and so the solution, getting back to that, is friends who know who understand what you're going through, family members who are willing to accept that you can't just get over it. It's outside help. Where though, I guess what I'm getting at is. If you have friends and family who understand that you can't just get over it, where do they and how do they insert themselves without crossing a line? I mean, is there is there a point where you just acknowledge you have to cross the line because this is this is pretty extreme or how do you go about that? Because isn't it also in some way you don't want the help. You do, but you don't at the same time, right? You do want the help to get better. You don't want the help in the sense that you don't want to appear weak. Or, or the depression tells you, I don't, you know, I don't, you don't need the help because feeling this way is just the way you're going to feel, period. Nobody can help you, you know? It's such a fucking liar. It's, and it's, it's such a stealer of, uh, the theft of depression is, is, that's the biggest part about depression that is not really discussed, is the theft of your life. 
the theft of your self-confidence and your the theft of loving yourself. In my instance, my mother stepped in because I had got to a point and I was just, I called her and I said, mother, things are not okay. And I don't know what to do. And she would say, well, you need to call your doctor. And I said, I can't call my doctor. And she didn't understand that. And it took like three or four weeks of me going through this where she realized, oh, she can't actually, actually calling her doctor is a painful thought for her. And so she came over to my house and sat down with me and was just sitting with me while I did it. And just having her there, having the companionship and somebody who was willing to be quiet next to me and hold, like she had her hand on my leg, having that support and that understanding was crucial. It is a fine line about where you insert yourself. I would say that I think if you have friends who you know are prone to depression, that it mean it would mean a lot to them to reach out on occasion and say, hey, how are you holding up? How are you doing? Do you need anything? Just to keep that dialogue open. Yeah, to keep the dialogue open and the possibility of, okay, she really does care about me and she sent me a text enough to think about me and maybe I could ask her to, um, maybe, maybe she's an ear that I can, you know, I, I can talk to. That makes sense. And I guess what I meant when I said you don't want the help is, and, and I'm, I'm guessing here, so definitely correct me, but that I think most people would rather, you know, get over their shit on their own. Like that's, that's what you would like to be able to do is just get over it, but you can't. So in that sense, like you don't want the help because you feel like you shouldn't need the help, but you do need the help and you know that you need it. You you know that you need it. Yes. It's a hell of a spiral though. <laughs> As as you know, as I know, and you know, my mother, my mother has said to me, you know, I d she's like, I didn't know what to do, Heather, and it and it took me a while to really understand and try to get inside your brain to figure out why you couldn't make a call or why you couldn't ask for help or why you couldn't reach out. And um, she actually came to I, did I tell you that she came to a therapy session with me? I did. Yes. Um, yes, and it took the therapist saying to her no this is this is this is why this is so overwhelming for her <laughs> and i'm saying and it was took this outside person it took a therapist that i am paying a large sum of money to to say to my mom the reason that the idea of a load of laundry makes her want to crawl up and die is because of this and i will um I'm, I'm, I'm just talking 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 just because i have lived there is an echoing loneliness to doing this alone, a deafening echo. The day in, the day out, the day in, the day out, the relentlessness of being a single parent that I think that you understand. Oh, yeah. And that echoing loneliness and the Sisyphean, okay, you get up again and you do it and you don't have a tag team can compound depression in a way that I did not see coming. So it caught you. And it took a while then to sort of catch you off guard. It took a while. Yeah. A couple um, years almost. Yeah. I had used some other things in my life to distract me from the uh, day in day out of it. And I mean, a lot of, a lot of things converged all at the same time. 
to make it so that the echoing loneliness sort of consumed me. And if it's been the last 18 months, that means that randomly running a marathon was about halfway through that. <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. Randomly running, randomly running a marathon, just randomly. <laughs> wow. And I think though you hit on something, I mean, there's all of these different issues, like the, the issue of depression, the issue of this loneliness, doing it by yourself is isolation. And I think it's an interesting conversation because they all feed on each other. And I think maybe that's the three components, like depression, loneliness, and isolation. And they all feed on each other. So when when one is bad, the other two are bad, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not as close to depression as you are, but I definitely know the isolation and the loneliness. And I know that when I start to become aware of one, I immediately become aware of the other, and then they both just increase. And that makes it even harder to bring anything back to a normal level. It, it does. Yeah, I remember one phone call that I had with my mother last fall where I was just had a day, you know. I mean, you have you have these days all the time where all the balls get dropped and their your kids are grumpy. And that's that's another thing, you know, that ties into this conversation is that when both of my children are grumpy <laughs> and it's been a long day and I'm trying to hold it together for both of them and I don't have anybody to turn around to to say, "Can you just handle this for the next 20 minutes while I while I catch my breath?" Those moments again and again and again and again and again and again are, um, I remember a phone call last fall when it had been one of those days and homework was hard and piano was hard and the kids were grumpy and I just walked into another room and I got on the phone with my mom. I actually went someplace where my kids couldn't hear me and I got on the phone with my mom and I just screamed into the phone. I'm so fucking alone. Anybody from the outside would say, no, you're not. Like you have your kids and your mom lives right there in Utah. You're not alone. But to a depressed brain and when you're in the throes of one of, of this kind of feeling, the day in, day out of it, I, I was really alone. <laughs> like the actual physical part of it, day in, day out, every night, every morning, all the driving, all of the all the meals, doing it with just my two hands. I just screamed into the phone. I'm so alone and that i think was one of the turning points for her that really made her realize what you were going through yeah i mean you know both of my both of my siblings are still married and have kids and they have the unit they have the tag team my mother has never done this alone my dad has never done this alone and i think when i was screamed into that phone and said to her you know i'm so alone in this that it was a turning point for her like okay, wait a minute, like, this is, she started to see why this depressive episode was different from others. That's kind of what I mean. Like, you're you're depressed, and that's, the depressed brain is kind of highlighting that loneliness. Mm-hmm. And then with that fixating awareness of the loneliness. I, fixating on it, yeah. Right. And then with that fixation on loneliness, the loneliness is just feeding the depression. Exactly. And they're both magnified now because of each other. Exactly. And I, but I do think isolation is like a a third unique piece. I think it it's related to loneliness, but it's also it's also different. I mean, there's times where I'm with groups of people that are married and have kids and doing these things, and I still I'll look around and realize, ah, okay, out of the six families here, I am the only single parent. Mm-hmm. So even though I'm not alone, 
I still feel that sense of isolation. And it's nothing that anyone else has done. It's just that realization. It's kind of showing you what you don't have. Yes. I only say this because I'm reading, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, uh, You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Oh, yes. She's she's really, she drives the point home, like, you got to stop comparing yourself. You just have to stop. Like, that's the one thing you really have to cut out of your life. You know, I think when you're not, when, you're, when your brain is in an okay place, you can go, you know what, I am the only single person here, but you know what, that's okay. That's just, you know, it's not a big deal that I'm the only single person here. Life goes on. And, <laughs> but when you, when you're feeling, when you're really feeling the loneliness and isolation, you're like, holy fuck, I am the only single person here. <laughs> yes. It just thunders it throughout just bears your body. down on you. Yeah. And it's easy. But again, I mean, even that book, it's it's easy to say that you shouldn't compare yourself to people. But it's a lot harder to actually do that. And it's not even, I mean, in that example, it's almost not even comparing myself to other people. It's just being there has highlighted what does not exist in my life. Not that Mm -hmm. I look at them and say I'm worse than them or better than them. Just here's a look at what life is like for them. And here's your life. And it just highlights the difference. And I I think it's unavoidable. I think there's times where you can notice it and not be as bothered, but it's always glaring. It is pretty glaring. I mean, most of my friends are still married or if they got divorced, they're remarried. Uh, But I, you know, I have a friend whose husband died last year. She's a widower, excuse me, a widow. I'm watching her continue to live her life in a very, a very vibrant way, sort of in celebration of what they would have done together. And I remember last fall when I was feeling just like shit, thinking, my God, like she's, she, she's experienced the worst thing in the world. She lost the one, she lost the love of her life. He's gone. And she's still vibrantly, vibrantly, you know, seizing every delicious drop of life. And I, of course, I compared myself to her and I thought, what? You know, I'm, perfectly i should be perfectly fine i should be okay and that goes back to i have no reason to be this sad why am i this sad it just feeds itself and you know it's just in this little spiral circle you should be okay like that statement is true it's just the process of getting there Mm -hmm. is difficult i mean you should when you're even when you're in like the the throes of depression and it's miserable and you say to yourself, you should be okay. You're right. You should be okay. But you just, your path to get to that point is not the same as everyone else's. So maybe for someone, they say, I should be happy. And it's easier for them for whatever reason. But for you, it's not. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't. No. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I remember I've, I've told a few people about how, I mean, I, I was already going down before I started training for the Boston Marathon. I was already headed downward. And and then I began training for the Boston Marathon while eating a very strict vegan diet. And when I tell people that that was sort of what, that that was the catalyst, that was really the thing that shoved me over the edge, they're like, wait a minute, but shouldn't that have had the opposite effect? Like you, you were, you were, you know, you're, you're in the best health of your life and you're eating all the right foods and, and, and then the self-help books will tell you, yeah, you know what, get off, go walk around the block, change your diet, do these things. And I did all of those things, like <laughs> to the extreme. <laughs> this is where I uh, make a plea for people to, you know, here's where, here's, I've written, I've written about this before, but a lot of people poo-poo medicine and uh, drugs. And I think that that is a dangerous thing to do because drugs save lives. I have watched it save the lives of family members. And sure, if you, if if yoga is going to be the thing that makes you feel better, if meditation, if praying, if attending church, if changing your diet, whatever it is that is going to bring you out of it, you know, there should be no judgment unless it's, you know, you're hurting somebody else. I th- I really did think that if I just changed this little part of my, like if I just changed my diet this much, or if I didn't run as much, or if I did a different exercise, or maybe if I just got like an extra 30 minutes of sleep, like I tried all these little adjustments to my life, when it really, it took a fucking call to my fucking psychiatrist. That was the thing I had to do. And that's what you needed. That's what that's you what needed. That's what I needed. Yeah. yeah. Does it make you, and maybe you've kind of already explored these things now, like now that you have made that call and gotten what you needed, do you wonder if you were to say now, well, what if I do get an extra 30 minutes of sleep? What if I do run an extra two miles a week? What if any number of those things that you tried before that weren't what you needed then, do you think they would be more effective now? That's a really good question. <laughs> like I... Because the Chicago Marathon is in October again, if you want to hit that up. <laughs> well, you know, I had the opportunity to run the the Berlin Marathon this year. It's one of the world marathons. The world marathons are Boston, Chicago, New York, Tokyo, London, and Berlin. So I have run New York, Boston, and Chicago. Christy Turlington of Every Mother Counts is going to, she's going to run all of the world marathons. She's going to run the Berlin this year and I believe she's going to run Tokyo in the in the coming years. I have the opportunity this year to go to Berlin and run the marathon and I in this in this very much better state that I am in, I said fuck no way. <laughs> no well, way. But I think though that's that's the extreme, right? Like to say that you're going to to do the marathon. That's like saying I need to change my diet so I'm cutting out all of this shit. Mm-hmm. But I just mean if you were to say, you know, maybe you run one day a week right now. I'm going to run two days. Not not long runs, just, a, you know, an extra day at two miles. 
Yeah, that right way it's now, not the same as like a marathon, but it's something. I just wonder, like, I wonder if, if, if you would feel a difference that you didn't feel before because. So this is, this is what I feel about that specifically. I am finally feeling um, really, really good. I haven't been able to say that in a very long time. I feel really good. And the idea of running right now, almost like (laughs) (laughs) there's like a little PTSD with the idea of it, of putting on running shoes and doing that, that it's like I'm staying far, far away until I have some, (laughs) no pun intended, until I have some distance from it to make a better decision about it because it put me so far in the hole. And we've we've talked about how I have introduced, you know, I had to introduce meat back into my diet here and there for, I mean, it it makes me feel better to have a a little bit of animal protein now and then. A lesson in not doing the extremes, right? Well, and again, it comes down to the fact that it's what worked for you. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I can even hear it as you explain it, you know, that you've started to eat meat again. And then then you explain why. But from my perspective... You don't need to like you could tell me that all of a sudden you're eating nothing but meat. And if that's what's working, it's fucking great. Like I, I think that's kind of what this is all about. You just, you try shit yes. and when something works, you stick with it. And then if maybe you feel that you need something else, then you find something else. And if that works, you stick with that. For I don't know. Running right, has been yeah. tremendously helpful for me. So I keep, I keep doing it. But that doesn't mean that running is a solution for everybody. And I also don't feel like if I suddenly stopped running and started meditating that I would have to justify it because other people enjoy running. Like I just think you started eating meat. That's If it is making a difference in your life that is positive, then it's awesome. No justification, just a big old middle finger. <laughs> the... <laughs> <clears throat> what I've what I've learned in 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 this better head state of mine is finding the triggers, and I know that word is overused, but finding the triggers that send me into like an anxiety, a state of total anxiety, and and that is like going like going like fourteen days without, and because this happens, this happened like th- there was a period of time last year from about the in the middle of of August through basically seeing you at the marathon, I didn't hang, I didn't leave my house other than to go grocery shopping. Like I didn't hang out with anybody. Like if I go 14 days and I haven't socialized and I haven't been out and I haven't done anything for myself, that is a trigger that sends me into, I'm so alone in this. And so I have to actively Heather go be with people, go make a coffee date, go call your friends and hang out on Thursday night, go get a babysitter. Um, there's triggers like and for me one of the biggest triggers happened from the running which was being hungry all the time which is not a fun way to live i just couldn't stop eating i was hungry all the time and part of that was i i think me being on a vegan diet vegan diet works very very well for many you know ultra athletes but i was running those miles and i couldn't i wanted to eat the fucking couch man <laughs> I wanted to gnaw my hand off. And after the marathon, that hunger never ceased. It, it just continued. And I remember like, why am I so hungry all the time? That was a, And that's a trigger is um, finding myself in a state 
of panic because I'm not around food and I need something to eat. So you stay home Mm -hmm. because then you're around food. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, no, I mean, I get it. And this, I think, though. I I pack food with me wherever I go in my purse. I remember for the the marathon, you had it. You had a lot of food. I read you. I definitely remember that. And and I know that there's going to be people listening and saying, well, you weren't eating the right vegan diet. You should have been eating more of whatever. And that could be true, but it doesn't matter because you found a different solution that worked for you. I did. And I, I welcome anybody who is who was feeling like I was feeling to to figure it to to do what they have to do to to feel better. Well, I think people look down on the on the drug side of things too, and and I'm as I've been thinking about this since we started talking, maybe it has to do with the insurance. Like your insurance doesn't doesn't cover therapy. No. But it covers the drugs. Yep. So I think there's a lot of people who could probably really benefit from therapy but end up with drugs because that's what's covered. That's what's covered. Because that's what they can afford. And it's something. So maybe it helps a little bit. Maybe it takes some of the edge off. It's not a solution, but it helps. And then I think outsiders look at that like, see, everybody takes these drugs. It's bullshit. Yeah, it, it is probably bullshit to a degree because some of these people could probably benefit from other things that just really aren't an option for them. Mm-hmm. And that is too bad because it doesn't mean the drugs are bad for everyone. It just means people are desperate for a solution. And backed into a corner. Yes. And that's the solution they can afford. That's the solution they can get their hands on. So that's what they do. I mean, you can't, you can't fault them for that. No. I mean, is, there are situations where people trying to get in with, with, with a psychiatrist, a good one, like trying to find a good psychiatrist, may take several months, right? Say you're in a really, really, really bad state and you want to see a psychiatrist. It could take months to get in to see a good one. And you may go through two or three before you find the right one. And getting into the first one is two months out. Whereas you can go to your primary care physician and they can prescribe you fucking Prozac. They can prescribe you Lexapro. So what do you do? Do you wait? You know, this is this. These are the corners that people are backed into. Well, if, if I could just get like, you know, I, I was on Lexapro that one time a couple of years ago and it kind of helped. And I can't get in to see a psychiatrist, but I, you know, I'm feeling really, really terrible. If I could just get into my primary care physician and they can at least give me like two months worth, you know, this is the state of the system, and it's, and it's shitty. It's a shitty system. God, it's a well, it's shitty, shitty system. Because I think a lot of people, too, probably figure, I'm just going to go to my primary care physician, and I'm going to get Prozac. And that is going to tide me over until I'm able to meet with this therapist. Mm-hmm. Then they take the Prozac, and it, it does something because it's a strong drug. And they think, you know what? This was, that was all I needed then because it took the edge off. And it's almost, and, and for some people, maybe that is all they need. I'm not, not judging that. But I think for others, it takes the edge off enough for them to feel like they don't need to go through the hassle of waiting two months to see someone that they might not like, and then waiting another two months to see someone else if they need to. And, right. and then, then they get stuck. One of the horrifying aspects of depression, and, I, and it is horrifying, is, well, I don't need this medication anymore because I'm, I'm feeling better. I don't yes. know a single depressed person who hasn't had that thought. Well, I'm feeling better, so I obviously don't need the meds anymore. My psychiatrist is world-renowned. Um, he's the best at what he does. He's a psychiatrist and a pharmacologist. And he told me that people who experience depressive episodes, deep depressive episodes, every single one that you have, it, it gets worse. 
the next depressive episode will be far worse than the one that you're experiencing. And the next one after that will be far worse than that one. Forever, Um, essentially? Basically, your brain, it just creates these folds, basically, if I don't know how else to put it, in your brain, where you got to be so on top of it to not sink into the hole, because the hole the next time is going to be so much deeper. Which is why he was so angry at me. <laughs> he was mad. Oh, man. I was not happy that he was mad at me because I was like, I don't feel good about myself and you're mad. <laughs> but and if he's, he's like, mad, you know there's a reason you don't feel good about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh. He's like, why did you wait so long? And I was like, because my meds are like, my meds have been working for, they've been working since Marlo. Since she was born, like seven years of like, my meds really, really working very well. It couldn't be a meds issue. It had to be the fact that I ran a marathon. It had to be the fact that I changed my diet. Those were the things. And he just looked at me and he's like, you're smarter than this, Heather. I said, no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm really not. Well, but I mean, maybe what it is is that you are, but your depression is smarter than that. My depression is louder. Right. Depression is loud. But there, there is definitely that trap with medication where I feel great, so I am better. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I mean, that, honestly, that extends to just about every single medication. I mean, if you get a prescription for something and you take the first seven out of 10 days because you feel better, yeah, but you still need to finish it. There's a reason you're taking it. And yes, you need to feel better, but you need to keep taking it because that's why. Yes. So many, I I get a lot of email from people who are reaching out to me to, you know, what do I do? My husband or my wife has gone off her medication and has convinced herself that she doesn't need it. And she, and it's like, oh God, oh, I'm so sorry, but this is what happens when you're depressed. Like this is a side effect of being depressed. Almost. It's a job hazard of being depressed is this ability to convince ourselves, oh, I'm going to be fine without it. And the brain just nosedives, you know? Well, because as soon as you're off it, it goes full bore the other way. Well, you have withdrawal from many medications, which is very unpleasant. I speak from firsthand experience. I I, I got off Zoloft when I was 27 years old because I wanted to eventually get pregnant and I thought that I shouldn't be on Zoloft. And coming off Zoloft was one of the worst physical experiences I've ever been through. I describe it as there's a scene in train spotting where there's a <laughs> this guy's having a bad trip and there's this baby cr- this dead baby basically crawling across the ceiling. Do you remember did you see train spotting? Yeah, but it's been a long time. Yeah. It, there's a baby that's crawling across the ceiling and it's just this horrifying like that's what it's like to come off of some of these medications. It just, you know, it's not fun. The withdrawal which is another reason that people talk about medication in such a bad way. They're like, well, if you ever try to come off of that medication, you're going to go through this and it's addictive. And, and you know, there's, there's research and data to support both sides of the argument. But I will say this, that the research that I have seen and done and witnessed in my own family, it has been a very beneficial tool for handling depression. Depression is just far and wide and and has reached every part of my family, even the very, very young ones, in a very sad and devastating way. And the more that we talk about this, and the more that we accept that there are various ways of getting help and feeling better, 
the more help people will get and the, the more tools we have to help our children so that they don't have to suffer in ways that we have. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's, it's good. It's, I'm just, I'm thinking at the same time and trying to put things together. I, I think, or at least I wonder if, and I feel like we've maybe talked about this before I had this conversation with someone, but I think with depression, it's almost, it's almost not, not necessarily trying to understand the person and their depression, but understanding that you don't because you're not in that space. Does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. Like your mom probably never really understood where you were at, but she got to a point where she, she understood that she didn't, she didn't get it, but that you needed something. Right. And it's kind of a weird place to have to be, to acknowledge that you don't get it and that that's the, that's the goal. Like you've reached that point. It's almost like if someone has like a, like a, an actual, like a, a physical ailment, Let's say somebody's having getting open heart surgery or has a, a heart condition that makes it so that they can't run and asking that person to go running. And the person says, uh, you do realize that I have this heart condition that makes it impossible for me to go running, right? And the you're like, oh, oh, that's right. You have a heart condition that prevents you from going running. Even though I don't have the heart condition, I understand that you have the heart condition. And I wish that there was as much acceptance of mental health as there is of physical health like oh you you are depressed and so making that phone call is impossible for you i get it i don't have depression but i understand that what you're going through is preventing you from doing what i want you to do right like i don't understand it but i understand that for you this is significant Mm -hmm. and again no two cases are the same which makes it even harder to identify that path and identify how you can help or yeah but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try maybe that's the moral here it doesn't mean you shouldn't try reach out to those in your life that you know who you know are are prone to episodes who are prone to feeling down and isolated and alone just the simplest just the simplest gesture of just a text hey thinking about you how are you doing if you need anything, let me know. I'm here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that the person can go, please help. <laughs> help me. <laughs> so this this was, had a slightly different tone to it than last week. But oh, we didn't talk about balls or dick or we did No, boobs. we started with dick. We start, well, yeah, but we really, really didn't. You always got to start with dick. You just, <laughs> that's. That's just how it goes. He started the last episode with me. Oh my God. It's like right out of the gate. I'm (laughs) talking about Dick. (laughs) That was nice editing, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) He has a gift for that. Welcome to this parenting podcast. (laughs) Brought to you by a deranged woman. (laughs) Talking about Dick. When it should have been Mother's Day. But hey. We got the Mother's Day talk in there. We did. We did. We worked it in. It always comes back around. So, usually, 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 uh, we would love to hear from you and would love to hear the resources that you've used in your life or need in your life in terms of mental health, um, depression, coming out of a darkness that may have consumed you. You can reach us at stories at manicramblings.com and everywhere. 
everywhere there's a handle. Except we're not on Snapchat, are we? No. We are not. We could be, though. That's where we could put dick. <laughs> well, considering this show is half male, I know where that's going to have to come from. <laughs> so well, we should probably, probably figure that out first. You should see what's on my phone. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> just kidding, Mom. Um, no, but you can reach us um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Manic Ramblings. Until next time, I want you to know that I completely understand where you are if you are unable to make a phone call, and I would make that phone call for you if I could. Many thanks to Tan Lines for the soundtrack, to Lisa Congdon for the cover art, and to Ryan Coomer for his expertise with the editing stuff. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.